0: deep in the heart of the swamp this is gator tales the official podcast of the florida gators Fakes to Taylor, drops back, looks to throw, now zings the ball and fires the ball deep down the field, got a receiver, it's caught, it's a touchdown, DeMarcus Robinson, touchdown Gators. Greer under center, takes the snap, fakes it to Taylor, drops back, throws over the end zone, wide open, touchdown Jake McGee, oh my, and the Gators lead 13 to nothing. Two receivers go wide right, Taylor the running back. Snap to Greer, Greer over the middle, throws the ball for Powell, makes a man miss the 30, he's to the 40, he's to the 45, he's to the 50, he's to the 40, down the sideline Brandon Powell, 20, dead, five, down. That's down. oh my! Greer calls for the ball, takes the snap, he looks and looks and looks and throws the ball, got a receiver, Callaway at the 5-yard line, he's going to score on the pylon, he's in! Round, scored it again, and what a drive for the Gators have just put on the Rebels in the last four and a half minutes of the quarter. And the Gators now have opened up a 25 to nothing lead.
1: Welcome to Gator Tales. I'm Adam Schick. The Gators shocked the nation with their massive 38-10 upset of third-ranked Ole Miss last Saturday, and it propelled the orange and blue from 25th in the polls all the way up to 11th. It marked the third biggest jump in the history of the AP poll, and it has everybody talking about the Gators. Coming up on today's show, we'll look at the impact of the upset and what it means big picture for Florida, but also how it relates to the Gators' latest test at Missouri. In the process, we'll introduce you to one of the Gators' breakthrough playmakers and wide receiver Brandon Powell, find out how Chris Rumpf has molded Florida's defensive line, talk about the Tigers with Scott Carter and Jim McElwain, and catch up with former Gator and current Super Bowl champion Dominique Easley. But first, the Swamp was alive this weekend as a sellout crowd of over 90,000 screamed in approval during Florida's dismantling of Ole Miss. It was all the more surprising considering the Gators were a touchdown underdog going into the game. Many fans felt it right near the top of the all-time surprise performances in the swamp and the voice the Gators Mick Hubert agrees.
0: You know I went back and started thinking about the significance of that victory over Ole Miss and uh, it it may have been one of a kind to do something that no one really expected uh, and to do it so decidedly I don't know that I have another game that comes to mind that would equal last Saturday night in beating Ole Miss. I think what you'd have to do for me, going back to when I started in 1989 – You know, when Steve Spurrier came on the next year in 1990, there were some games in there where uh, we were starting to come back. Uh, You know, Steve was starting to build a program a little bit, and there were some surprise-type games. Uh, I remember we we had a game, I think it was in the rain in the the swamp, and we beat Auburn 48-7 in 1990. you got to remember that the, the last time Auburn had come in, two years prior, in 1988, They shut the Gators out on homecoming at Florida. And the significance there of that 88 shutout was the last time the Gators have ever been shut out in a game. And in 1989, we we go out to Auburn and get beat in a heartbreaking game. We we lost it in the last moments. Uh, We weren't very good in 89. So coming back then in uh, the year 1990, Steve comes on, and, and we just waxed Auburn. But we beat a lot of people that way. We beat Georgia badly. We, you know, we had what we claimed was the best record in the league, uh, but we were ineligible to claim the title. But then in 1991, we could claim the title, and uh, we had some games like that. We beat number 4 Tennessee in the Swamp. I'll never forget it. It was a game that uh, Larry Kennedy had the big interception, and it was maybe the loudest the Swamp had ever been at that point in time. And then you've got to go to the, the game that comes to mind also then would be in 1997, uh, much talked about the much talked-about great victory over Florida State because they were number one in the country at that time, and, and we beat them 32-29 in that, that thrilling game. We beat Tennessee in the 1999 season, the year after Tennessee had won the national championship in '98. The '98 game we lose on a, on a field goal in overtime, the first ever overtime game for Florida. Tennessee goes on and wins the title. In '99, though, they come back here and we beat them, and they were number two in the country we beat them 23-21. Uh, Ron Zook's 2003 season stands out to me because we're talking about every October it's seeming like there's a gauntlet. Very similar to what we have now in this regard. The Gators played three ranked teams all in, within the top 11, and they were all away from the swamp. The Gators went out and beat all of them. LSU, which was number six in the country, LSU would win the national title that year in 2003. They got up, I think it was 7 to nothing, in a rainy game, and we beat them 19-7. Uh, just an ordinary type Florida team. Wasn't a great Florida team, wasn't a bad one, but we dominated LSU in Tiger Stadium. And uh, and then the very next week, we had to go play at Arkansas. And Arkansas was number 11 in the country. And I think Kewon Ratliff had three interceptions that game. And- On his last one, he tossed the ball up into the upper deck in the south end zone, and of course, uh, Coach Zook wasn't very happy about that, but the kid had three picks. I I thought, I tipped my hat to him. I said, but you get three interceptions, (laughs) I guess you can do that. We beat them, and then we had to go play over in Jacksonville against Georgia, and Georgia was ranked number four in the country. And we beat them 16-13, and getting a field goal to win that game. So those were three games in a row that we beat teams in the top 11. Those are some of the games that just come to mind, and they were all big wins, uh, but again, am not sure if they put them on the same shelf as last
1: week's victory over Ole Miss. The Gators are in a really good place right now, and then here comes Missouri, a team that has really been a trouble spot for Florida the last couple of years, and they haven't been in the SEC very long, but since they've been around – it's been one of Florida's tougher opponents. It
0: really has, and you know the interesting thing about Florida and Missouri is that they had never played before they got into the league except one time, and that happened to be in the Sugar Bowl in 1965, when Steve Spurrier's final year, and Missouri was beating Florida in that game, 20 to nothing, going into the fourth quarter, and Spurrier led the Gators in a comeback. He threw two touchdown passes and he ran for a touchdown, so he accounted for all three scores. And after all three scores, the Gators talked Ray Graves into going for two points and failed on all three times and so got beat 20 to 18. Steve Spurry was named the MVP of that bowl game in one of the rare times that a guy is named the MVP from the losing team but that was the impact they had on that game. This was a 66 Sugar Bowl in New Orleans and they never played again until 2012, and we played them, I think, uh, three years ago in a noon game. Not much atmosphere, and Missouri wasn't all that great, and I think James Franklin, their quarterback, was a little banged up, and it was a rather nondescript 14-7 to Florida win in the game. I remember it was you know it was a, a win is a win is a win. It wasn't really exciting. And then we go out there to Missouri for our first-ever visit. On another morning game, we got to the ballpark in Columbia, first time we had been there. We got there about 9.30 in the morning, and it was sunny, not a cloud in the sky. It was about 33 degrees. It was quite chilly. And it was a great day for football, though. But we had a defensive back that got uh, thrown out of the game on, like, the second play of the game for uh, helmet-to-helmet contact, which was questionable. And, you know, we never really kind of recovered in that game. And we got beat pretty badly in the game. We didn't get much offense out of the game. And our defense really kind of come apart a little bit. And then, oddly enough, last year, Missouri came in again uh, rather limping along. Not, not really great. Uh, just in studying for this week's game, I'm going back and reviewing last year's game. I'm looking at all those numbers. I'm going, my goodness, it wasn't like a juggernaut. Missouri came in here, but at the end of the night, you would have thought it was a juggernaut because they beat us 42 to 13. Of course, when you give them six turnovers in the game, three lost fumbles and three interceptions, and help them score as we did, and that, that's what happens. They only had 119 total yards in the game. Matty Mock, who was suspended this week and not playing, was, was out there in the swamp last year. And Oh, my goodness. I don't know if a winning quarterback could have a worse game than Matty Mock had last year. Six for 18, 20 yards passing, and they ran for like, 99. So they had 119 yards and whipped us by over three touchdowns. So I would think this group of Gators who are in Columbia have a little payback to do for these guys. And, you know, we look at this game on Saturday night again, and it's another type of a pedestrian Missouri team, again, struggling on offense, but much improved over defense. And they've been good on defense, but their defensive numbers this year are really good. And they're doing it with some young players too. So I've been very impressed by watching these Missouri players. Hopefully our offense can be what it has been because I think clearly – we have our best offense since this Missouri series has resumed in the last three years, so it should make for maybe, maybe one of our best performances against Missouri.
1: Now we take a timeout for our latest Gator Tales Trivia Challenge. The 38 points put on the Rebels were the third most ever scored by Florida against an opponent ranked in the top three in the country. So, if that was only good for third... What are number one and two on that list of the most points scored by the Gators against a top three team? Email your answers to GatorsPodcast at gmail.com or tweet them at GatorsPodcast and one randomly selected winner will get a $25 gift certificate to the online Gators sports shop. Last week we asked you, what record did Tim Tebow break in Florida's last win over Ole Miss? The answer was rushing yards in a game for a Florida quarterback after he rumbled for a school record 166 yards in a 30-24 win back in 2007 in Oxford. Our randomly selected winner was Scott J. so congrats to him, and know that you could be this week's winner, so make sure to send your answers in. Moving on, there have been countless contributors to Florida's 5-0 start to the season, and some of the biggest performances have come from one of the smallest guys on the field. Sophomore wide receiver Brandon Powell may stand only 5'9", but he has made a huge impact at the wide receiver position, taking part in some of the most significant plays of the season and of all time. We asked the Deerfield Beach native about the magnitude of the win against the Rebels.
2: It was great to a team coming in with that much hype for us, you know, as a team. You know, to show, give us a chance to show off what we got to the, you know, the whole world. You know, it was a good, a good atmosphere to play in, and to come out with a win in a big stage like that. You know, it was great.
1: What do you think clicked so well? It seemed like it was just the perfect game in so many aspects. Why was that the case?
2: As a team, we prepared, you know, the right way. You know, everybody bought in offense. Everybody knew their assignments, executed their assignments. Defense, you know, they did what they normally do. You know, and that's what helped us come out with a win like that.
1: A lot of people who were there said it was like the glory days of Florida football, like the old days when national championships were being won. Did it feel different out there? Could you tell that there was something special happening?
2: Oh uh, Yeah, you, could, you just, as a team, you know, we got that. Everybody, we want to win, you know. Everybody's tired of losing. As a team, that whole week, everybody was going at it and practiced competing. And then we just got to the game and it just showed
1: that all our hard work was paying off. What do you feel like is the biggest difference right now with the offense compared to last year? Is it confidence? What's making such a huge difference? Everybody on the right page, you
2: know. Everybody preparing the right way. That's why it's helping us have so much success this year. Where did the
1: idea come from for you to switch from running back to wide receiver? Was that something you wanted? Did the coaches bring that to you?
2: When Coach Maglon first got here, they brought me in the office and told me they were switching me to wide receiver because that's what they felt can benefit the team and anything that will help us get wins and whatever I can do to contribute to the team. That's what I wanted to do.
1: What's been the toughest part about that
2: transition for you? Well, you know, just being a receiver. Period. That's the toughest transition. You know, it's a lot different from running back so I mean that's been the toughest thing but you know I'm still learning some things so I mean I'll I'll get it sooner or later.
1: How important has coach Dixon been in that transition what has he really helped you focus on?
2: Every day he's preaching the the little things and the little things as a receiver catching the ball you know high tight running routes giving people sticking you know all those things receivers do that's why he's been doing a great job of helping me become a, a great receiver.
1: It's a pretty big crop of wide receivers you have in there. Which guy have you learned the most from in terms of how to play the position? Pretty
2: much all of them. Really, I'm, I never played receiver before, and all those guys that in the room—they've been receivers, you know, all their life. So, you know, I've been watching all of them from just from watching film, learning things from everybody, running routes or anything. So, pretty much everybody in the receiver group, I've been learning things from.
1: You were part of one of the biggest plays in Florida football history, springing the block to get Antonio Callaway, the touchdown. Talk about that experience. Now, over a week later, what you remember about that play? You know, I
2: just remember it was fourth down. We needed a first down. he got turned. He caught the ball. So I ran out of the sideline, came down to get a block in. When I got up off the ground, he was running for the
1: end zone, so it was a great play. For as much as coaches talk about blocking and how important that is, does it really pay off in a moment like that when you can see it leads to something so critical? Oh,
2: yeah. Our coaches always talk about, you know, getting to the ball, especially on offense. You know, our block can spring a, a big play, and they preach it all the time, and we did it in the game, and that's what happened. You play the
1: Tigers this week, and I'm curious if there was a wild Tiger loose in the locker room. Which teammate would be the most likely to run for his life to get away from it? Well, it's probably me, I man. Um, <laughs> mess the Tigers, I will probably be the one I run away. <laughs> Which teammate would be most likely to take on the tiger and not back down from him?
2: There's a couple guys, but I'll probably say Antonio Morrison, you know. He doesn't fear anything, so I mean, he will probably be the one I'll take on the tiger. Outside
1: of a gator, what is your favorite wild animal? I'll say a cheetah. A cheetah.
2: Yeah. Why a cheetah? Just how fast they run it when they're hunting, just that look that they have,
1: that's my favorite album. Last year against Missouri, obviously it was a tough night in the swamp. How much does last year's game get talked about in the locker room in the lead-up to this year's game?
2: Well, We pretty much don't talk about anything that happened last year. You know, That, was, that happened last year, was, everything is on this year. So, I mean, they're a good team. That's what we're going into this game with.
1: What have you noticed about them specifically on film? What has really stood out to you?
2: Well, you know, they're a world-disciplined team. Everybody's on the same page, so that means we're just going to have to be that much focused and everybody's going to have to do their job if you
1: want to come out with a W. What are the biggest challenges of going on the road, outside of just the crowd and the atmosphere and things like that?
2: The challenge is just being focused, especially on the road. and It's not our crowd. You've know. you got to be focused, You know, hit the signals and everything like that. That's, that's pretty much it.
1: Gators are ranked highest right now. They've been in over two years. What does that mean to you guys in the locker room? Is that something you're thinking about? How do you handle the success now?
2: Well, we pretty much don't think about that ranking stuff so, because that's where we're supposed to be. I mean, it's, we're the Florida Gators, so I mean, it's just every day it's a new week. You know, that win last week did not matter. The rankings doesn't matter. Just we want another W. That's what we, that's all we're thinking about.
1: A big part of the success has been the offense in the way that's clicking right now, led by Will Greer. What have you seen out of him in terms of his development?
2: Uh, you know, he's becoming a, a leader on the team. You know, he's taking charge, so that's what you want in a quarterback,
1: and that's what he's doing. Final question for you, what does the offense really need to do this weekend to be successful? What are some areas you can exploit against this really talented Missouri defense?
2: Like I said before, you can just, everybody's on the same page. You know, Everybody's focused and doing their job. That's all it takes for us to get a W.
1: While Brandon Powell has helped the offense lift off, the defense has also been stout with arguably their most impressive performance of the season against Ole Miss, holding the SEC's most potent offense to season lows in almost every category. The defensive line played a critical role in that effort, creating tons of negative plays and putting nonstop pressure on quarterback Chad Kelly. Chris Rumpf is the architect of that unit, and he spoke with Jeff Cardozo about working with this diverse group of Gators.
3: This group's been really, really fun. You know, I got a good mixture of some veteran guys. I got some not-so-seasoned guys. And I got some rookies in there as well. So it's it's really challenging me and, and keeping me going every day.
4: I talked to, to Bullard after the Kentucky game, and he and McAllister were kind of going back and forth, almost challenging each other, talking some smack. those guys have a lot of fun to uh, see who gets to the quarterback the most?
3: Yeah, they do. You know, I have to sometimes pull the reins on those guys because, you know, they get sack-happy and want to make plays and things like that. So I try to tell them, hey, just have fun, but have fun within the framework of the defense, and um, I'll be okay, but when we start trying to do things outside the framework of the defense, or will start experimenting, that's when uh, I get upset with them.
4: So in that framework is, is a big part of it, stopping the run, too, because you guys have been great, I think, second in the league right now in stopping the run.
3: Well, I tell those guys all the time, if if you want to rush the pass, if you want to get sacks and all that sexy stuff, cool stuff, stop the run get the team into third and long and passing situations then we can pin our ears back and rush the passer but if we don't control first and second down then it's not going to be no pinning the ears back you know you make the call hard on the defensive coordinator when it's third and three third and four that's a tough call to make you know should I pressure should I pick coverage so if you want to get the sacks and all this stuff then let's stop the run first and for the most part those guys have bought into it
4: a lot of the uh the defensive back guys too we're talking about the success of those guys up front it makes their job easier so a lot of credit to them too for that
3: oh no doubt uh it's hand in hand you know a lot of those sacks that we're getting um is because of our secondary you know I'm not giving a quarterback a place to throw it you know sometimes I'm covering those guys up so tell them all the time you know hey before you go praising yourself, you know you may want to thank those defensive back for covering those guys up and, and not giving the quarterback an easy throw.
4: As you sit here and you talk about now a game plan for Missouri, um, you're going to see a quarterback that you haven't seen much of, and Matty Mock was the guy that ran it around there. But is it more about what they do up front as opposed to who the quarterback is back there?
3: No doubt, no doubt. You hit it on the head, man. Uh, it's all about those guys. You know, they got a veteran offensive line. Um, you know this staff has been together for a long time they've done a great job you talk about you know the past two years winning the sec east they have a system so it's just like next guy up it's not like they have to create something new they have a system and you can tell by the way the guys play that is that's that's the mentality they have is it's not who's back there but it's about the system so we got to go up and we got to play a really really good game against a really good team
4: how much changes week in and week out as you look at film because you could say you know hey we've gotten after the quarterback the last couple of weeks so that might make Missouri think, well, hey, those guys are getting after the quarterback. We've got to do something with our quarterback that's different. So how much do you think back and forth old chess match is involved in each game?
3: Oh, it's a lot. You know, those guys, they're going to try to challenge us and try to hit us where – You know, our weak spots, and the same thing, we're going to try to hit them in their weak spots. So it's all about, you know, it's like a boxing match. You know, you swing, I duck, I counter. I swing, they try to duck and counter, but hopefully we can get them hitting the head with the haymaker.
4: When you talk about then getting after the quarterback, is there something that you guys change within the rotation, keeping guys fresh? I mean, what goes into each game with you guys?
3: You know, we just, you know, we try to play situational football and try to get these guys to understand situations. try to get them to understand the calls. And, you know, I challenge them to try to be coordinators on the field so when Coach Collins is making a certain call, they know why he's making a call and what the call is supposed to accomplish. And it goes back to, you know, playing within the framework of the defense. So uh, we got a great challenge and I'm looking forward to it.
4: You talked about uh, the, the different classes and you've got some veterans, you've got some young guys. How has that mix been? Do you see a lot of the older guys helping out those young guys and trying to make them better?
3: Oh, no doubt. You know, you got guys, and these, these freshmen, man, you know, especially CC, you know, he's the one that's playing right now. He comes in with all the blitz and all that stuff and five star, but he's humble and uh, he, he listens to the, the old guys and the old heads and they try to help him. He pushes them because they see the talent, uh, which he possesses, but at the same time, is no jealousy. Those guys say, hey, it's all about the Gators, so we're going to do whatever it takes to help each other so we, as a team, can be successful.
4: Last thing for you, Coach, we know you went to South Carolina, we'll hold that against you, but right. uh, the, uh, the, the trouble that they had and had to move the game to, to LSU, um, so uh, every, everybody okay back home?
3: Yeah, uh, my parents are, are, are good, my, my brothers and sister, everyone is there, uh, friends, and you know, I got some buddies in Columbia that's obviously suffering and, and going through some things, so we're definitely praying for them, and uh, those people in that state, they're strong like myself. So um, they're going to bounce back. I have no, no doubt about it, and, um, and I heard that the game was moved. So they'll go down there, and it should be a good game.
1: As Mick told us earlier in the show, the recent history between Florida and Missouri has been very much in the Tigers' favor, and that's one of many reasons they have the Gators' attention. You're about to hear comments from both Gator Zone senior writer Scott Carter and Jim McElwain about the challenges presented by Gary Pinkle's team. But first, Scott gave his assessment of Florida's dismantling of the Rebels.
5: It was really the most complete performance from a Florida team probably since, you know, Tim Tebow era. I mean, they just, they came out, the defense set the tone immediately after that first drive. The crowd was really into it, and of course, you don't expect the offense to come out and look as efficient as they did, but before you look at the scoreboard, it's 25 nothing Gators at halftime. Will Greer, 17-20, 229 yards, and four touchdowns in the first half. To me, it looked like that rhythm that he found in the fourth quarter against Tennessee when he had such a, a good quarter and led the Gators from 13 points down on those final two drives. He carried that over It was almost seamlessly in that first half against a very good Ole Miss defense. And from there, the defense did the rest in the second half. The offense kind of managed the clock and did what it had to do. But just a Florida performance that you could just tell by the environment in the stadium. They've been kind of waiting for something like that. Obviously, the win the prior week and the way it happened at the end of the game, it was a a dramatic win, got people excited. But last week, I think
1: they started seeing this Florida football team in a different light. And one of the reasons that outlook has changed is because the surprising play on both lines of scrimmage, the offensive line, the defensive line, those were two big concerns for Florida coming into this year, and they've continued to improve each and every week. Yeah, the
5: offensive line, some folks, you know, what was that going to look like? Because, you know, we all know the story about in spring camp, they finished with not even enough scholarship guys to have a spring game. And they uh, added some true freshmen over this summer that they knew were going to have to play immediately, like Martez Ivey and Fred Johnson. Those guys have come in and produced. And to me, the sign of the offensive line doing its job, it's always if they're not getting mentioned a lot in a game. And that's exactly what's happened this year with this Florida team. This was against a, an Ole Miss defense that in some ways was garnering more attention than the Florida defense going into the game. And yet they were neutralized, and a lot of that started up front, and then flip it over to the Gators' defensive line, there's no doubt the line of scrimmage has been huge for this team early in the season on both sides of the ball. Those guys are getting mentioned all the time because they're making big plays. Bullard is uh, right at the top of the SEC in tackles for loss. Brian Cox Jr. obviously has had a fumble recovery the last two games. McAllister's fit right back in, and it's a unit that we knew had some depth and talent, but until they get out there and start doing it consistently, you just don't know, but they have been doing it consistently, and it's, a, it's been a bright spot for the Gators team.
6: Excited for where we're at. At the same time, it'll be really interesting to see how we handle the praise, um, all the people that obviously said, you know, they weren't worth a hill of beans and, and now, you know, are talking about them. People rubbing their bellies and making them feel good. And, you know, yeah, well, they should get their bellies rubbed. I mean, they've done a good job.
1: And yet, how do you handle it? With most teams we look at, we talk about the offense first. With Missouri, the defense leads the story. This is a defense that leads the SEC. Pass defense,
5: scoring defense, are only giving up 12 points a game. They've limited opponents to 21 points or fewer six games in a row. That's the longest streak they've had of such since 2006. So, you know, it just starts with them on defense. It always has, and it starts up front with those guys. A big part of that is defensive ends Walter Brady and Charles Harris. Uh, Charles Harris nine-and-a-half tackles for loss, which is at the top of the SEC. Brady already has five sacks, and last week they played South Carolina, limited the Gamecocks, 298 yards, forced three turnovers, and a lot of that pressure came from the two guys we just mentioned, Brady and Harris. Those guys are kind of the uh, cornerstones of that defense, and the Florida's kind of learned that lesson the hard way the last couple of years. Uh, last year only managed 13 points. They were down 42 nothing. In that game, Adam, here at the Swamp. And uh, as we talked about, Gary Pinkles just finds a way to always produce top defenses that are near the top of the SEC in defense, and that's the case again this year.
6: They're a team that thrives on 10 negative plays a game, getting the ball back. I mean, shoot, they had. Six turnovers uh, combined against us last year on both special teams, and and obviously their takeaway capability is what makes it happen.
1: Offensively, you never really know what you're going to get from Missouri from week to week, and they don't really know either right now because Matty Mock is still suspended, so Florida's going to see Drew Locke making just his second career start.
5: And Adam, they hope he doesn't have as much success as he did in his first career start against uh, South Carolina last week. First true freshman quarterback to ever start under Gary Pinkholt, Missouri. First one for the Tigers in 20 years. And uh, he went out there and did a nice job, 21 out of 28, 136 yards. Most importantly, no interceptions and two touchdowns. So they seemed to overcome the loss of Mock pretty uh, nicely, their first attempt at it. And he managed the offense well. He relied on his running back, senior Russell Hansborough, who uh, went over the 2,000-yard mark in his career last week. He's got a great receiver in uh, Nate Brown, a guy who leads the team in catches and already with four touchdowns. So they have some tools. They have a veteran offensive line. But, you know, what came out of Missouri after uh, Locke's first start was he did what he had to do and
1: managed a good game, and Missouri came away with a win. As we learned this past weekend, it's very difficult to predict these games and how they're going to turn out. But as you look at it right now, how do you see this game playing out on Saturday?
5: Well, Adam, uh, I think I was the only one who predicted that the Gators would lead 25-0 last week. You, you must have missed that. <laughs> we cut that from the interview. I don't know how that. I don't know how that happened. <laughs> but no, uh, seriously, to me, the, the matchup is one probably going to be more of a defensive kind of game. Uh, it's hard to imagine Florida on the road uh, at Missouri's homecoming, maybe bringing that same kind of energy out, especially knowing that the crowd's against them. And Missouri, you know, they're still learning some about their team. they are obviously got a quarterback only in his second career start. It's a defensive-oriented program. Uh, So it would not surprise me to see this one play out, maybe a lower-scoring affair, just good defensive uh, play in the game, a lot of punts probably. But uh, I think it's going to be a pretty tight game out there and a, a tough one for the Gators to win.
6: This is a team that plays the way you're supposed to play. They take care of the football offensively. They get the ball back on defense. Their red zone efficiency is fantastic when you see the amount of times they're down there and not giving up touchdowns. That's impressive.
1: Finally today, if you ask any football player at any level what their ultimate goal is, they're likely to say winning a Super Bowl. But the vast majority of players never even make it to the NFL, and many of the ones that do never have a chance to play for a Lombardi trophy. And that's what makes Dominic Easley's path since leaving Gainesville something of a dream. Play for an elite franchise? Check. Win a ring in your first season? Check. Come back to the Swamp as an honorary Mr. Two-Bits? Check. Gator Vision's Whitney Hayworth caught up with the former defensive tackle on the sidelines after his most recent task was completed. I always tell people at the
3: Patriots that there ain't nothing like the swamp ever in this world, you know, so it's, I can't even explain the feeling.
6: And speaking of the Patriots, what's one of the toughest parts about adjusting from the SEC to the NFL? Uh,
3: just, I mean, I would not say it's tough, it's just adjusting how we did coming from high school to college, you know, just, just being professional.
6: And Super Bowl champion in your first season, what was that feeling like?
3: Uh, I mean, especially, you know, people worked their whole career for this, so it was something special to me.
6: What's your biggest lesson been so far in the NFL that you've
3: learned? Just be a professional at every place that you go because there's always eyes watching. And one
6: of the biggest things about being a Gator alum, a Gator great, is keeping in touch with the current players. Who are some of the current players that you're able to keep in touch with and kind of mentor?
3: Uh, Bullard, uh, Brian Poole, Marcus May, uh, Vernon Hargraves, you know, guys like that. That was there when I was there.
6: And then lastly, do you know whatever happened to your Chucky doll?
3: I think one of them got it. i got to find out after this game, matter of fact. Perfect.
6: Thanks, Dominique. <laughs>
1: Thanks to Dominique Easley, and make sure to check out the fantastic work done by Whitney and the rest of the GatorVision team on GatorZone.com, where you'll find full press conferences, practice updates, and more exclusive content from the Orange and Blue. And that'll wrap it up for this week's show. Remember to submit your trivia answers to GatorsPodcast at gmail.com, or tweet them at GatorsPodcast, and use those same outlets to reach out and let us know what you think of Gator Tales and what you'd like to hear in the future. If you haven't already done so... Please subscribe to Gator Tales on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Stitcher. Give us a review and tell your friends about Gator Tales. Meanwhile, the October gauntlet continues this Saturday night in Columbia, Missouri, with kickoffs set for 7.30 on the SEC Network. You can also hear live coverage beginning at 4.30 on the Gator IMG Sports Network. Our next podcast will be available next Thursday and will preview one of the great challenges in all of college football, a night game in Death Valley. Until then, I'm Adam Schick, thanking you again for joining us on Gator Tales.